You're listening to a 58 Ember production. Hey everyone, I'm your host Emily and welcome to Sideline Edit. Here I'll be curating and breaking down what's trending in the world of sports on and off the field. I'll leave you with just the right amount of information so that you can join in on any sports conversation and not feel totally lost. You'll know what the big game of the week was, what event to be on the lookout for next, what team is hot, who had the best game day fit, because trust me, the game day fashion is elite. And I'll also just be filling you in on who some of these main characters are so that you can get a better understanding of why I and so many other people out there are just so obsessed with the world of sports. And I always say, I truly think sports are the best reality TV out there. And so I'm excited for you to see that too. Thanks for tuning in. All right, welcome back to another episode of Sideline Edit. I'm your host, Emily, and I'm excited to dive into what's been happening in sports this past week. First of all, I want to say it's been so fun interacting with everyone on social media, especially those Charles Leclerc lookalikes. I thought it was so funny what people were saying that Charles looked like. And I have to say most people saw the same person I saw. And so I just thought it was so fun to get to interact with that. And now I think it's time to go ahead and dive in. Now, last week I had said about how the World Series was going to be wrapped up by the time of this episode, and so the Texas Rangers won their first ever World Series. They did end up winning out on the road, so they finished 11-0 and on the road in this postseason, and one of their players actually, Will Smith, not the Will Smith that we think of, but Will Smith made history as the only player to win three straight World Series. He won in 2001 with the Atlanta Braves, last year in 2022 with the Astros, and then this year in 2023 with the Rangers. And he's actually the first person to do this across the MLB, the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL to appear on three different championship-winning teams within three consecutive years. So I thought that was pretty wild and exciting for baseball's own Will Smith. And so now that the MLB is done for their season, I want to hop into the NBA because last time I had said how they were just starting their season... And so with the NBA this season, they are starting this new thing, implementing it, and it's called an in-season tournament. And so this, like I said, the first time the NBA has ever done this, and I had mentioned on my Instagram story about how basically the reasoning for this new in-season tournament is just to try to spice things up at the beginning of their season because typically people tune into the NBA later in their season because As you know, right now we have the NFL going on, we have hockey has just started, we have a lot of sports happening, college football, college basketball starting now, and so 
This is essentially a way to spice up, get some viewership towards the beginning of the season. And there's been some, I don't want to say criticism because that sounds harsh, but basically just everyone's acknowledging, okay, we get what you're trying to do here, NBA. We get that this is more of like a marketing thing than anything else. It seems kind of unnecessary to call just some games are tournament games, some games aren't, because these quote, tournament, unquote, games are counting as regular season games. Like I said, it does feel more like marketing than anything else, but it worked. It has me talking about it. And so I'm going to dive in on how this tournament is working. And so the tournament started on November 3rd, and the championship will be December 9th. So kind of a long tournament. Right now, the tournament is in what they are calling group play rounds, where the 30 teams in the NBA were divided into six groups of five within each of their conferences. And so the NBA has two conferences, the East and the West, and so they have three groups in the East and three groups in the West. And during this group play part of the tournament, each team will play a game against each of the other teams within their group. And based on the results during this group play, eight of the teams will move on to the next round, which is called the knockout round. Now, the weird thing to me is that between these tournament games, there's just regular season games happening. So during this group play round, only tournament games are played on Tuesdays and Fridays, but they're still playing other regular games between this. For example, the Utah Jazz play the Phoenix Suns on a Friday, which counts as a tournament game, and then play them again two days later on Sunday. And that's not a tournament game. That is just a regular game. And so it's a little confusing what's tournament and what's not. They do have a marketing twist that I'll get to about how you can know what you're watching other than simply the day of the week. And so... After this group play round, like I said, we go to the knockout round, which is a single elimination tournament with teams progressing onto the semifinals and then the championship. And the championship game is the only game that doesn't count as a regular season game. And that game's actually taking place at a neutral site in Vegas. And so people are joking, what happens to Vegas stays in Vegas, since that is the one game that's not counting towards the regular season. So there are prizes involved for doing well in this tournament, other than obviously just adding wins to your record. And the prize is monetary. And so each player on the championship team will be awarded $500,000. Each player on the second place team earns $200,000. Players on the two losing semifinal teams will be given $100,000 each. And then quarter finalists get $50,000 each. And I think the prize will eventually get more interesting. I would love to see if you win the tournament, you're automatically in the postseason. Or you get a buy during the first week of the postseason. Something that is more intriguing. Because obviously money is intriguing. But something else to spice up the regular postseason... I think would be interesting. And so back to what I was saying about how do you know when you're watching these games, what's tournament and what's not. Another more marketing aspect of this is that tournament games have special court designs and jerseys. 
and I'm kind of into this, but some of these quartz look wild. You'll have to look at photos of these, but essentially the quartz are fully painted and they're colorful and they have what they're calling these runways down the middle and then a tournament trophy is at the center of the court. You can tell as soon as you're watching TV, okay, something's different because of these court designs. And my personal favorite courts are the ones that are monochromatic or have the tone on tone, like the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Utah Jazz. I was watching, I think it was the Pacers at their court, and they had the blue and the yellow, and it was distracting. And so I think the tone on tone is a nice way to do it that's not so distracting, but still intriguing. And as far as jerseys, I really like the Houston Rockets and again, the Utah Jazz. I'm loving the purple mountains that the Jazz are using for their jersey and then the purple on the court. Again, having to do with marketing, it's a good excuse to get these new special jerseys. Look them up. They are different than normal. If you've been wanting a new jersey for your team, it could be cool to get these since nobody else has them. Now, that's a breakdown on this new tournament. I'll continue to keep up on it, see what's happening, and as well as how teams are doing outside of this tournament. So far, the Denver Nuggets are looking great again. They looked great last year. So are the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. Now on to the NFL football. Did anybody happen to wake up early and watch the Germany game? I guess if you're on the East Coast, it wasn't as early as it was for me. I had said that this was one of my games to watch with the Chiefs versus the Dolphins, and it definitely had a slow start. The Dolphins were looking jet-lagged, and the first half, the Chiefs defense had a really great strip of former teammate Tyreek Hill, and so they stripped the ball from Tyreek Hill. He was carrying it. And then they had a lateral, which is when one player carrying the ball throws the ball to another player, which you're allowed to do as long as the person that you're throwing it to is either parallel to you or behind you. So essentially, you just can't throw it forward. And so the guy strips the ball. He has the ball. He doesn't really have anywhere to go. And so he throws it laterally to a teammate and then he is able to run with the ball and get a touchdown and so I love seeing defensive scores and again getting to see Tyreek Hill play his old team he's always fun to watch and I think especially watching the now Dolphin against his former teammates the Chiefs was fun and so at halftime they go into the locker room and it's 21-0. The Chiefs are winning. And then the Dolphins got it together a little more in the second half. The Dolphins defense had their own recovery of a Patrick Mahomes fumble. And then the game ended up going until the end when we had one minute left and the Dolphins looked like they were about to tie the game. A snap essentially just goes through quarterback of the Dolphins to his hands. And essentially that ends the game and the Chiefs win. Really just kind of like a sloppy move ends the game because it had looked like the Dolphins were about to score and tie it. And again, I just like watching both of these teams. I think Mike McDaniel, the coach of the Dolphins, he's really funny and fun to watch. If he's ever like mic'd up, he just has funny commentary. And so you'll definitely have to watch that. 
They are both just two creative teams. The quarterbacks are really fun to watch, very mobile with Tua of the Dolphins and then obviously Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs. And there's something of just watching two higher caliber teams play each other because you do get those more smart and creative plays. You get not only defenses defending, but actually making their own plays. And you just don't see that with lower tier teams. Again, I just love watching two good teams play each other, as well as watching these overseas games. The crowd in the stadium just gets so into it. You see them singing typical American sing-along songs like Sweet Caroline and Country Roads. And it's just fun to see like how much they get into it. And I think we have one more game in Germany next week. And so I think that's the last of it after this week or after this upcoming week. I think that's our last overseas game for the year. And then in the afternoon, we had some close games. The Houston Texans hosted the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that game was basically just back and forth, back and forth all the way until the end I had mentioned Texans quarterback C.J. Stroud last week as C.J. went second overall in this year's NFL draft after his childhood friend Bryce Young went first to the Carolina Panthers. And last week they got to play each other. But this week I think the focus is more on C.J. Stroud. Stroud had a really great game yesterday and broke the single game touchdown record for a rookie quarterback that was previously set in 2012. He ended up passing for 470 yards and had those five touchdowns. And not only was it a record-breaking game for CJ and people are saying maybe this guy is actually the best rookie quarterback ever or at least in a long time. And so all the comments people are like is this guy actually the real deal. Are we starting to see this? CJ was drafted out of Ohio State, and Ohio State is kind of notorious for their quarterbacks just not living up to their potential. And so if CJ could kind of break that stigma, that would be exciting. And so far, it looks like that is what he's doing. Another close game was the Minnesota Vikings at the Atlanta Falcons. And last week I had shared how Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins was out for the season with an Achilles injury and the Vikings have to find a solution for who would be their quarterback. On October 31st, the last day of the trade deadline, so essentially the last chance for teams to negotiate and trade players with each other for the rest of the season, the Vikings trade for quarterback Joshua Dobbs. And I want to give a quick background on Josh Dobbs. He was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2017 to be their third-string quarterback. After three seasons there, he's traded to Jacksonville to be a backup. He doesn't play at all. And then after one season, he ends up going back to Pittsburgh as their third-string quarterback. And so now we're in 2022 at this point, and he goes to the Cleveland Browns to be their backup. He's then released by them months later and he gets signed by the Detroit Lions to be part of their practice squad. And then two weeks later, joins the Tennessee Titans, whose quarterback had gotten injured. And so essentially at this point, he's just moved around a lot. After the 2022 season ends, he ends up rejoining the Cleveland Browns for their 2023 season as one of the backups. And then just two weeks before the season starts, he's traded to the Arizona Cardinals. 
And the Arizona Cardinals starting quarterback, Kyler Murray, is injured. So he's basically at this point competing with the backup Colt McCoy, who has been in the league a while, just always as a backup. And so essentially he's competing with Colt McCoy for the starting quarterback position since Kyler Murray is currently injured. And so right before the first game of the season... Don't worry, he's not getting traded. This part's good. He is named the starting quarterback for the Cardinals in September of 2023. So now going into this season, the 2023 season, we knew the Cardinals weren't going to be great. But after watching a few games, I honestly kind of felt like the Cardinals weren't as bad as people were saying. I mean, they definitely weren't good and the bar was set very, very low, but they honestly weren't that bad. And Josh was looking pretty solid, and especially considering the team around him, I was like, good on the Cardinals. They're doing it. But as I had mentioned, on Halloween Day, Joshua Dobbs is traded to Vikings. To recap, since 2022, and so not that long ago, Josh has been to Cleveland, Detroit, Tennessee, back to Cleveland, Arizona, and now he's headed to Minnesota. Josh said that two weeks ago, he had finally moved into a house in Phoenix, Arizona, and had stopped living out of a suitcase. Essentially, he had two weeks of having a bed and a couch, he said, that was his own, and then gets moved to Minnesota. Now, this lifestyle of bouncing around, I feel like, isn't talked about too much in the NFL, but this is how a lot of the players in this league play, moving to where the opportunity is. And so now Josh arrives in Minnesota on November 1st, a Wednesday, and he's put on the team as a backup to quarterback Jaron Hall. And so Minnesota had Jaron Hall. Their plan was he's going to replace Kirk Cousins and Josh Dobbs is going to be this backup for Jaron Hall. And so their first game is November 5th. And so, like I said, Josh arrives on a Wednesday and their first game is Sunday, November 5th. Within the first quarter, Jaron Hall leaves the game with a concussion. So five days after arriving in Minnesota, Josh Dobbs is going in as the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, which is a very hard position to be in because he just got there. (laughs) He has not been there long. Get there Wednesday and has to learn an entirely different playbook, terminology, team, Luckily, Josh is extremely smart. He was actually an aerospace engineering major in college with a 4.0 GPA. While being in the NFL, he interned with NASA in the offseason. And so luckily for all of us, especially Minnesota fans, Josh is a quick learner. But since he had just gotten there and they were planning on Jaron Hall starting, he didn't get to physically practice with anybody in the few days that he was there because they were so focused on making sure that Jaron Hall was finding a rhythm with the team because it was his first NFL start. So Dobbs didn't take any reps with the team. He had never taken a snap from the person who was playing centered before. And essentially, he has to learn the snap cadences of the offensive line on the sideline before having to go into the game. Josh said he personally did a couple of throws and warm-ups with the team. But that's it. This man has not played with his team before. And anyway, Josh enters the game. The only way that this works is he has the head coach of the Vikings, Kevin O'Connell, in his ear the whole time. 
O'Connell's not only calling the plays, but essentially he's translating them for him because he doesn't know any of the plays. I mean, he's been studying them the few days he's been there, but he's never done them in action. And he doesn't know the reads or what to look for. And so Kevin's in his ear the entire time, not only calling all the plays, but again, translating them for Josh. And he impressively pulls this all off and ends up beating the Falcons 31 to 28. In the postgame conference, reporters ask him if he even knew the name of one of the wide receivers he threw a touchdown pass to. And Josh jokes that working on teammates' names is what he will focus on this week, as he currently does not know too many of them. So this is wild. He plays this game, and he doesn't even know people's names on the team. Also in the interview, Josh Dobbs used a really good analogy. You've been taking AP Spanish all year. And you show up on Wednesday and someone tells you that you have an AP French exam on Sunday and someone's going to talk to you in Spanish and then translate it into French for the exam. And that is essentially what he was doing for the entire game. And with this win, Minnesota goes to five and four and not only losing starting quarterback Kirk Cousins, but also their star wide receiver Justin Jefferson. The Vikings get to play at home next week against the Saints, and we will see who is in at quarterback for them. I'm hoping it's Josh Dobbs. Another game I had mentioned last week is NFC East rivals, the Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles. Both have been strong this season, especially the Eagles with having the best record in the league. And this game was certainly competitive and the Cowboys were in it until truly the last second of the game when they ended up just a few yards short of scoring a game-winning touchdown. But the momentum the whole game felt in the Eagles' favor. Personally, my team is in the NFC East and so it's hard for me to watch either of these teams do well. But to me, it really looks like the Eagles are still the Eagles from last year and will likely go into the postseason at the top of the NFC. I think Cowboys fans always have hope that this will be the year that they're great again, but they're always good, but you really see them struggle against really good teams. And granted, they were competitive with the Eagles. You have to be their your rival, but still showed up short. And also just were a little sloppy here and there. Just not as clean of a team. If I was a Cowboys fan, I would have been pretty disappointed and felt like they're just not going to do well in the postseason again. And that's kind of how they've been for years. They do not do well once it comes to the playoffs. But my last game I'd mentioned to watch last week was the Sunday night game, the Buffalo Bills at the Cincinnati Bengals. I had mentioned how I love watching both of these quarterbacks, Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills and Joe Burrow for the Cincinnati Bengals. Last week I had said how the Bengals were heading into the game hot, whereas Josh Allen and the Bills have just been disappointing. And unfortunately, that's kind of how this game played out. I was hopeful for a more competitive game, but that's not really what we saw. The Bengals were pretty dominant the whole game. They looked confident and the Bills just didn't. And so again, they are disappointing me. I 
am worried about them. Definitely, they're not going to be the top of the AFC for the playoffs. But now I'm worried, are they even going to make the playoffs or are they just going to be a wild card team? What is happening with Sean McDermott and the Buffalo Bills? As far as looking into next week, Thursday, we have a matchup of two of the worst teams, the Carolina Panthers and the Chicago Bears. And so that has the potential to be a good game, but again, two lower caliber teams, which can still be fun because things can get messy. And I'm excited to see who will win that game because they both have something to prove. I also think a great game to watch will be the San Francisco 49ers at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Both teams are coming off of a bye week and the 49ers really needed that week to turn things around, whereas Trevor Lawrence and the Jags have been on more of a roll. And so interesting to see how they kind of come together and play each other. The Sunday night game is the New York Jets at the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are on a high after this past week. They fired their head coach and they have put in interim head coach Antonio Pierce as their coach. And this past weekend, they beat the New York Giants and the Raiders went very hard (laughs) celebrating This went over the Giants, which I'm sure after firing your coach and just feeling defeated and now you won a game is very exciting. But like I've mentioned, the New York Giants are not a good team. They had their third string quarterback in the game. And so we will see how the Raiders can carry this excitement into playing the Jets because the Jets will definitely be a more challenging opponent than the Giants with their third-string quarterback. So it'll be telling to see how good the Raiders actually are playing a harder team. All right, now on to fashion this week. I love having the NBA back as they are so fashionable and they have more games And so more fashion gets to come with that. But I actually think I have more NFL picks this week. And maybe it is just because with one game a week, they have more time to hone in on making this one alpha grade. And so I'm going to start this week off with a tried and true favorite, Stefan Diggs, wide receiver of the Buffalo Bills. Now, I could honestly pick Stefan Diggs every week. And so I tried not to, but this week I just felt like, I had to pick him in this lineup. He had a monochromatic purple fit. I personally love purple and lavender, but they can be tricky to match and pull off. So when someone does it, I feel like since the challenge is harder, they should get more credit. Stefan sports a royal purple solid sweater that's oversized, but has a fitted crew neck collar, which I feel like is key. I love the oversized but still having that tailored collar, it just looks more elevated than just going completely oversized. And so this royal purple sweater is paired with a light purple cropped pant. And then he has these white tall socks and sneakers that you can see peeking from underneath the pants. And then this beautiful purple gray bag, a necklace showing through his collar, And then the most classic pair of black sunglasses that everybody needs. And now this outfit doesn't look like anything crazy, but it's a win for me with being able to pull off that purple 
the proportions. He just always does so great with the proportions and tailoring, and that goes very far with me. And so just a win from Stefan Diggs. Next is another wide receiver, this time for the Cleveland Browns, Marquise Goodwin. Also a monochromatic, but all white. And I actually saw a picture with his wife and children, and they were also in all white for the game, which was cute. And Marquise had a white cap worn backwards with this oversized white pullover with snap detailing kind of in a V down the front. And the top and the bottoms were maybe like a nylon material. It almost resembled like snowwear, but then he had this more like elevated clutch, which I loved. And I didn't get to see a full outfit fit. I only got to see probably from like right below his waist up. And I've been looking for a full fit to see what the shoes and everything were. But overall, I just really liked it. It looked how would I describe it? It just looked very like put together. Like you knew what he was trying to achieve and he was just going for it, which I loved. Now, next let's go to the NBA with Boston Celtic, Drew Holiday. This game day fit was kind of collegiate varsity inspired with a V-neck sweater in white and navy. I personally would wear this sweater. It had like number detailing on it. It was just classic and like this perfect fall sweater. And then he paired it with these pinstripe slacks and more of a muted navy where the sweater was more of like a true vibrant navy. And he made it really casual with these bright all white sneakers and socks. And it was just classic, collegiate inspired, perfect for fall. I personally would wear it. And so like I said a million times, just a good classic fit. I feel like anybody could pull inspo from this. Now, last on my list is Kansas City Chiefs running back, Jarek McKinnon. And I feel like you definitely need a picture for this one because there's quite a few things going on and there are elements that I love about this and then elements that feel a little bit off for me. The first thing you notice is this oversized blue jacket and a classic cut that as you look closer is completely knitted with this great chunky knit detailing through with two-toned blue yarn. It also has these like chunky chocolate brown buttons on it and then under that jacket which is truly a statement. There's just this crisp fitted crew neck tee And then he pairs that with these like chestnut leather pants. And I personally love the blue and the chestnut together. I think they're great neutrals, but the vibrancy of them just has like this perfect pop to it. And so I love those together. And so that's what you initially see. And I'm like, oh, I love this fit. And then you zoom in a little bit. And the misses for me are with these accessories. He has these very like 90s gradient sunglasses, which are fine. If that was it, I probably would have given a pass. But then he has this oversized black belt and a very oversized black bag. And I personally think you can mix black and chestnut. I personally like to do that. But for some reason, this just doesn't work for me. And then he has these shoes that are white sneakers with black and red accents. 
And I think the sneakers don't work for me because like the shape might be off. They feel a little bit too athletic. And so overall at a glance, I still love it. I think it's daring. I think the jacket is just so cool and unique. I was trying to find out who made this jacket. And then I think the chestnut leather pants with it look so good. Now, we had an F1 race this weekend, and so it was the Brazil Grand Prix, and a lot happened. There's a lot of intricacies with F1 and having this race having a sprint and an actual race, and so I'm still going to give a snapshot here, but I decided that I am going to do like a deep dive into this race that I will be posting later, and so... Stay tuned for that, especially if you're into F1 or want to be into F1. And so, like I mentioned, this was a sprint weekend, which essentially means that we have two races, a sprint on Saturday and then the normal race on Sunday. And so the sprint is basically the race, but a shorter version, less laps and worth less points. And so the Sunday race is 71 laps. And then the sprint race on Saturday was just 24 laps. And so on Friday, we had qualifying for the Sunday race. And qualifying basically just sets up the grid or the order the drivers will start the race for. Like I said, the qualifying is on Friday. And then basically you have the sprint in the middle on Saturday and then the race on Sunday. And so let's start with Friday. And so the qualifying on Friday is starting to happen and you just see in the background the skies are getting darker and darker and it's obvious that a storm is coming. It gets windy and everyone's just kind of like waiting for this to happen. And so qualifying ends up getting stopped early. So not everybody's able to complete their laps to achieve the fastest time. And so these results aren't entirely indicative of what might have happened otherwise since qualifying had to end early because this crazy rainstorm ends up happening and windstorm ends up coming. Max Verstappen finishes with the fastest time to get the first position, which everybody wants. They call it pole position. This makes sense. Max Verstappen has been incredibly dominant all season. Charles Leclerc, the Noah from Stranger Things lookalike, is in second. He's also been qualifying great this past few races, so that makes sense. And then we have Canadian driver for Aston Martin, Lance Stroll, in third. This is the one that's not like the others. And I don't think I've gotten into Lance yet because he is an interesting one. Like I said, he's a Canadian driver, and most people aren't Lance fans. He does have some fans, and the main reason that people don't love Lance Stroll is because his dad, Lawrence Stroll, owns the team he races for. And so with him owning the team, he gets to pick that his son is one of the two drivers. And Lance isn't, like, terrible by any means. He's currently 10th of 20 drivers. My issue with Lance is that, frankly, he's kind of rude to the Aston Martin staff, to reporters, to other people. And so that's where I kind of have a problem with Lance. Because if you're in the situation he's in, that is every more reason to be extremely kind to people. And he does the opposite. Like, people want to hate you. Give them a reason not to hate you. And so he qualifies in third, 
and his teammate, Fernando Alonso, qualifies fourth. And now Fernando is a great driver. He's been a world champion driver before, and I will cover him a little bit more later. And so like I said, this qualifying on Friday is for the race Sunday. Before we get to the race, we have our sprint on Saturday. And so the sprint also has a qualifying, which setting up the grid again, and this is called a sprint shootout. And this happens on Saturday, just a few hours before the sprint race. In the sprint shootout, British driver for McLaren, Lando Norris, qualifies with the fastest speed by very close, just 0.061 seconds ahead of Max Verstappen, who finishes in second, and then Max's teammate at Red Bull, Checo Perez, in third. And so that's just the top three for the sprint qualifying. And now on to the sprint race. Max gets a great start and is quickly in front of Lando and leading the race. The two Mercedes cars who qualified for the sprint in fourth and fifth look really strong towards the beginning too and begin challenging the cars ahead of them like that third position car, Checo Perez. And Checo actually ends up getting passed by one of the Mercedes drivers, George Russell. But at lap 10, Checo ends up passing George to be back in third place. And at this point, Max is still in first and Lando in second. And as the race continues, the Mercedes just start to look worse and worse. And the gap starts to open with Checo in front of them getting bigger and bigger. And the sprint ends with Max of Red Bull in first, Lando Norris of McLaren in second, and then Checo Perez of Red Bull in third. And if you listened to last week's episode, you know that we're happy to see Checo do well in this race. And so now we have that race to overview. The starting lineup for the race was determined by that qualifying on Friday. Max is first, Charles is second, and the way they line up is two across. And so Max and Charles are next to each other. And then third, Lance Stroll is behind Max. And fourth, Fernando Alonso is behind Charles. And so essentially for the start of all these races, you have odd numbers behind odd and then even numbers behind even numbers. And so it's basically two columns for 10 rows since there's 20 drivers. And so before the drivers get to these positions to start the race, they do what they call a formation lap, which is basically just one lap around the track that helps them warm up those tires to start the race. And so if you watch it, it's kind of funny. They're kind of just like zigzagging around the track to warm up those tires as much as possible, and then they make it back to start the actual race. Except one car does not make it back to start the race. During this lap before the race, Charles Leclerc, who's supposed to be starting second, has an issue with his car and ends up going off to the side. And basically, he's out of the race before the race even starts. It's an issue. He can't fix it. He's out of the race, which is obviously very, very disappointing. And you just hear him on the radio and he's like, I'm the most unlucky human in the world. And so when we go to line up, his spot is empty and no one can take his spot or move up. So essentially now Fernando, who's in fourth, has no one in front of him. So he has this clear start. And so when the race starts, Fernando is able to get that great start. Lando also gets a great start and so does Lewis Hamilton. And then very quickly, you notice a crash is happening in the back of the pack. And so Alex Albon of Team Williams and Haas driver Kevin Magnussen collide and causes a lot of debris all over the track. 
there's even this tire just flying in the air at one point and that ends up hitting another car and damaging it and so it just is chaos on the track another driver oscar piastri he also gets some collateral damage from the crash and there's just so much debris that they do what is called a red flag and we actually had this last week And this isn't super common, so it's interesting to have it two weeks in a row. And essentially with this red flag, all the cars leave the track, they go back towards the garages, and they wait for the race to restart and for everything to be cleared. Because of this red flag, these damaged cars that got more of that collateral damage are able to go back to the garage and be repaired and end up being able to restart the race with the second start. But because they went all the way back to the garage to get repaired, they have to start from what is called the pit lane, which is essentially outside of the garage, as opposed to how the other drivers got to start back on the grid of the race in that lineup again except now they're starting in the lineup that they were in when the race stopped. And so if you pass people, you're able to keep that position. But the cars that got that main contact, Alex Albon's car and Kevin Magnuson's car, they're completely out of the race. Way too much damage. And then those two cars that got the more collateral damage, Daniel Ricciardo's car and Oscar Piastri's car, where they're starting is so far behind the track. They basically don't have a chance to even pass anybody else within the race. And so they do this restart with those two cars out of Alex Albon and Magnussen's and then the other two cars, Oscars and Daniels, so far behind. And you also have Charles' car out who didn't even start the race. So in my mind at this point, we're down to 15 drivers of 20. Which is exciting if you're one of the lower performing teams because that's five less people that you are now in front of. And you only have to be in the top 10 to get points. And so the odds are pretty good for you at this point. And the race restarts and Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso get a great start again. And at lap eight, we have Max leading, Landon Norris in second, Fernando Alonso in third, and then the two Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell in fourth and fifth, and then Checo Perez of Red Bull in sixth. As the race continues, the Mercedes just start looking worse and worse, and they're getting passed by other drivers. And you hear both of the drivers on the radio complaining about other cars, and they're just having these issues. And they're not the only people having issues. Both drivers for the Alfa Romeo team, they're having issues, and they both end up having to leave the race. And so this field is getting smaller and smaller. And then just laps later, George Russell of Mercedes, his car overheats, and he has to leave the race. And so, again, this field is getting smaller and smaller. And so at the end of the race, we have Max, who's been leading the race with Lando Norris comfortably in second. But the real action is the exhilarating race for third place against Checo Perez of Red Bull and former world champion Fernando Alonso of Aston Martin. And they are half a second away from each other with one lap to go. And Checo pretty seamlessly passes Fernando. He's in a Red Bull, which is just a better car than the Aston Martin. And to me, I'm like, okay, this kind of solidifies third for Checo. But Fernando Alonso does not give up easily. And he is an old school driver. He is the oldest of the drivers currently in F1. And he just goes for it. And he does not make it easy for Checo. 
And this is a really fun battle because Checo can also be more of an old school driver. And it's just so fun to watch these skilled drivers. And they both say afterwards that essentially they couldn't have raced many other drivers like this because the way they were racing, you have to be highly skilled and experienced to do this. And so it's just fun because they are so close through the end and through the curves of the final lap, you kind of see Fernando trying to peek around Checo, but just doesn't look like he has the speed to actually pass him. And then right on a straight, Fernando does pass him, but Checo is right there. And it is truly a photo finish. You don't quite know who wins. And then Fernando Alonso ends up taking third. And so if you want to watch this clip, you have to because you truly can't tell who is going to end up getting this third slot until the end. And it was just really fun to watch each of them. I think Checo is disappointed that he got fourth at the end, but he doesn't really show it because I think it was just so fun for them to get to really race each other. And so that's my very brief overview of the F1 race in Brazil. We have a couple weeks off from F1 until we actually are in Las Vegas for the next F1 race, which will be exciting. It's a street race right on the strip in Las Vegas. It's going to be on normal American time zones. And so it'll be fun to watch because you don't have to get up super early to watch it. And so definitely if you've never watched an F1 race before, check it out. There's one American driver, Logan Sargent. He is a rookie for Williams. And so check it out if you want to get into F1. And this was my quick recap of sports. We do right now have the Women's Tennis Association finals going on in Cancun. They had a crazy storm as well. There's a video of Coco Goff's umbrella getting just blown away right out from on top of her and so it's been kind of crazy and things have been moved around because of that but the finals is today monday november 6th by the time this comes out we might have a winner of that but again another exciting week in sports college basketball is starting today which is exciting we're still in the swings of college football which i haven't even been able to dive into yet Thanks again for tuning in to Sideline Edit and thank you so much for all the kind messages that I've been receiving. It's really encouraging and the reviews have been so helpful. The best way to support a new podcast is to review it. And so thank you so much for that and I will talk to you all next week. This has been a 58 Ember production. For more shows, please visit the 58 Ember channel, 58ember.com, or find us at 58 Ember Media on socials.